Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. This morning, here's our message. Our message title is How to Hear God When God Whispers. How to Hear God When God Whispers. And this is part of a series that we're working our way through right now. Uh, We're in a, if, if you're joining us for the first time today, we've been working our way through a book midweek called How to Hear God, uh, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I, I just love the title because it's so packed. Uh, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Um, and, you know, the, there's the audacity of, as an individual, as a created being, I can hear God's voice. That's a little audacious, but it's me doing it as an ordinary person. It's not about just the super spiritual people. It's for ordinary people like you and me. And so I love that. So we're working our way through the series. Um, the series does presuppose that, that, listen to this, the creator of the universe, God Almighty, is interested in speaking to the people he has made. He's interested in revealing himself to the very people he has shaped and created. And he's actively doing that. He's actively pursuing us in order that we could have a relationship with him, know his presence and his voice. Today we're going to be in talking about when, when God whispers. And I just want to give kind of a pastoral disclaimer or a qualifier over this whole series. And that's the, what we're talking about, this concept that, that the creator of the universe is speaking and we can learn increasingly how to discern his voice and his presence. That's not something that we can learn in a seven-week series regardless of how immersive the series is. And there's lots of levels to this. So, so uh, on Sundays, this is our, our guiding topic and we're in passages that take us through various ways that God speaks. That's what we're doing on Sundays. Midweek, we're reading through this book and many, most of the church is gathered in some variation of a small group where you can process what you're reading with other people and practice it and talk about it and, 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 and take it further. And and our daily devotions that Pastor Mike writes for us are also written out of this content, which, by the way, they are absolutely phenomenal. If you don't currently read our devotions or listen to them, they're available on podcast or you can get them emailed to you. Find it, you can find the information on our website. They are just fantastic. They are so helpful. This week I was so... They should be published. <laughs> they really are. So, um, but here's the thing. Uh, in seven weeks, no, regardless of how immersively you engage in this series, you're not going to graduate with a degree in hearing God. Okay? Here's why. Because hearing God's voice is a lifelong journey traveled by lifelong travelers, lifelong learners. That's what discipleship is. It's a lifetime of learning to discern God's voice. We are setting apart the seven weeks. We're, we're, we, we, in the church, we might use the language of consecrating. That's when something is set up apart for a dedicated purpose. We're setting aside the seven weeks to say, this is the most important thing we can ever talk about as a church. If God is speaking, and he's not just speaking to pastors and prophets and clergy and priests, if he's speaking to all of us, then this is the most important thing we can ever study. So we're setting apart this time, and, and our intention is that we will go deeper. 
Um, in this week's chapter five, we're gonna be in chapter five this week, and it's this, again, it's hearing God in, in God's whisper. But Pete Gregg, the author, he shares a, um, a story about Brother Lawrence. And uh, I, I'm not gonna read it, I'm gonna leave that for you to, to discover yourself. But I love that he shared that story. Brother Lawrence is well known for being somebody who spent his entire life practicing attentiveness to God's presence and voice. In fact, the famous book he wrote is called, just called Practicing the Presence. And he learned over the course of 50 years how to discern God's still small voice, God's whisper, God's, when God speaks through a thin silence. He learned how to do that, but it didn't happen overnight. And I, I really liked that, that Pete Gregg included that story because I think it, um, it helps us to reset our expectations, to re- reframe our own expectations about what it looks like to hear God's voice. Because if we're going to grow in this, we're going to have to press past the times when we try and it feels like we didn't hear anything, right? He didn't get it overnight. He's, he spent 50 years cultivating this attentiveness. We live in a microwave society where we get instantaneous results and we expect results in just a few minutes. We live in a world where we have these incredibly powerful computers in our pockets, most of us. And we can ask almost any question and in few seconds get back more responses than we could ever read in a lifetime, right? We live in a world with instant information. But you know what you can't do? You can't ask one of the new AI platforms like ChatGPT. You can't ask it, what's God saying to me? I'm telling you this because I tried it. (laughs) I, I tried it just out of fun this week. I asked, here's what I typed in. I typed into chat GPT. Uh, what is God saying to me? Here's the response. As an AI language model, AI is artificial intelligence, as an AI language model, I don't have access to personal or specific information about individuals unless it has been shared with me in the course of our conversation. I also cannot provide direct communication from a divine entity like God. <laughs> My purpose... <laughs> My purpose is to assist and provide information to the best of my abilities. If you have any questions or need assistance with a particular topic, feel free to ask. <laughs> so, learning to discern God's voice that's a, in his moment-to-moment whisper, Brother Lawrence practiced that for 50 years. Is way, uh, I, read the, I heard this quote this week from uh, Isway, no, I don't know how to say his name, Gnosi. He said this, he said, Anything I do regularly is either a habit or a practice. Okay, let me say that again. Anything I do regularly is either a habit or it's a practice. The habit controls me. It's the thing I do today without thought because I did it yesterday and the day before that. But a practice, well, that's something I do intentionally because there's a goal I'm determined to achieve. I think the invitation in this week's chapter, in, my, in this morning's message, and, and in the things we're going to be discussing and reading about in our devotions, I think the invitation is to consider our life, consider what are the habits of our life, what are the habits that, we have some habits that are simply bad and just need to be, you know, dealt with in our lives, but we've got other habits that, that aren't necessarily inherently bad, but they may be costing us something. They may be costing us our ability to discern God's still small voice. And the invitation is to say, God, would you reveal those habits to me and would you show me a a corresponding practice that I can intentionally engage in so that I can be more available and more attentive to your voice? Because honestly, isn't this the most important thing? I mean, just inventory. You don't have to raise your hands. But do you want 
to hear the creator God speak to you? Do you want him to speak to you about the questions you have? Do you want him to speak to you when you're not even asking, but he has direction for you? He has somebody he wants to send you to, or he has something he wants you to move towards. Do you want to hear God's voice? I suspect you do, because why else would you give up a spring morning on a Sunday in Boise, Idaho to be here? We're going to lean into that hunger. We're going to ask God to satisfy that today. So today, as we turn to this fifth chapter in hearing God's voice, uh, we're turning to hearing God's whisper. This is a little bit different than the previous four ways that we have discussed because previously we talked about hearing God in the person of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is the clearest revelation of God. Jesus consistently said that throughout his his, uh, earthly life. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to hear what God's saying, listen to my voice. If, if you want to see what God's like, how God interacts with his creation, watch me. So Jesus is the clearest revelation. So we looked at that. We looked at um, hearing God in the breadth of Scripture, the, the, the overall arching message of Scripture. We looked at, at that. We looked at hearing God through Scripture in depth. So Scripture in breadth and Scripture in depth. Depth is when we pause to like maybe pray through a, a verse or a paragraph, a specific story. And then last week, we talked in a wonderful message that Pastor Brent brought us through was uh, hearing God through the supernatural gift of prophecy. This is when we're asking God to give us a word for somebody else that we're praying for, to give an encouraging word, a word of building up and exhortation. I just was, was talking with Mary this morning, and Mary and I had a chance to pray a few weeks ago, and I just heard some of the feedback about the things we prayed about. And God delivered, right? It was a word of encouragement. It was a prophetic word. God did it. Didn't have anything to do with Mary and I. We were just there listening. So, so we're listening to God in prophecy, either for somebody else or, or sometimes somebody gives us a word. All of those, when they happen, they come pretty clearly. When they happen, they come pretty clearly, and they come in moments and environments where we're deliberately seeking God's presence. Right? So if you're reading the Gospels, you're, in a sense, where you're trying to hear from God. When you're reading Scripture in breadth, you're trying to hear from God. When you're reading Scripture in depth, you're trying to hear from God. When you are asking God to give you a word to pray over somebody or receiving a word from somebody, those are moments that are intentionally about cultivating God's voice and presence. What we're talking about today is something different. It's about all the other moments. Because there's the moment, and sometimes we divide it up. Sometimes we we think about our sacred and, and, and secular or our spiritual and our natural. For God, it's all one. Right? So, so we have the sacred moments where we're in church or a prayer group or, or something like that. We're seeking God. When God speaks in those environments, it's wonderful. What we don't want to leave out is all of the rest of life. We're talking about listening to God's whisper. We're talking about the mundane, seemingly non-spiritual moments that make up the vast majority of our lives. And here's the thing. The testimony of Scripture, and, and Pete Gregg is going to take us through many stories in Scripture where we see this to, to bear out. But the testimony of both Scripture and of the generations of Jesus' followers who've gone before us is that God quite often, if not most often, speaks to us not just in the moments when we're asking for his voice, but in the still small voice that can be so easy to miss. I want to suggest that God is speaking to all of us far more than we realize. It's just that we're not attuned to it. Because his voice comes in such a way that it's not demanding, it's not oppressive. God is a God of humility. And he doesn't always speak with a hammer. In fact, the hammer is pretty rare. Although he's God, he can do that. 
Today, we're going to consider why it is that we might miss hearing God's voice when he whispers. We're going to consider why we might be missing it and what we can do to grow uh, to be a people who do recognize when God is speaking to us, people who are increasingly attentive and responsive to his voice. So we're going to turn to 1 Kings uh, 19, chapter 19. If you have uh, a Bible, you can turn there, or if you're using an app uh, with everything on Do Not Disturb, you can <laughs> turn there. Just a suggestion. So you can be present for this incredibly important message, not from me, but from God. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for it is no better than my ancestors, or I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Let's pause there and ask what's happening. In other words, who's Elijah? Why is he afraid? Why is he so distressed and dramatic? <laughs> it's a little melodramatic, isn't it? That he's asking God if he can just die. I Honestly, because we just recently did that series on Jonah, it immediately brought me back to Jonah, who also sat under a tree on a mountainside and dramatically asked God if he could just die. I think Elijah's case is maybe a little bit stronger. It's not just, he's not just being dramatic. Like he's got a really, some really oppressive dynamics happening in his life. I'm talking about who he is. Elijah was a prophet in Israel in the ninth century BC. So he actually lived a few hundred years before Jonah. Um, Elijah was a prophet in Israel in the 9th century. He, uh, he served during the reign of King Ahab of Israel and his queen Jezebel, his wife, Queen Jezebel. Uh, this was a very spiritually dark time in Israel's history. In fact, Scripture summarizes Ahab's reign with a, a pretty bleak review. This comes from uh, 1 Kings 16.33. Then Ahab set up an Asherah pole. An Asherah pole was an instrument of worship for the god of Baal, the, uh, the idol Baal. Uh, then Ahab set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. This is the, this is the king that, that Elijah is serving under, the, he and his wife. We'll look at them a little bit more in a minute. But just think about this. We're told oftentimes in the, the books like uh, Kings and Chronicles that David, King David, was, he was kind of like the, the measuring stick by which all other good kings were measured. Every good king was measured by how he measured up to David. Every bad king is compared to Ahab. He's the yardstick for evil. So what did he do? Uh, for example, Ahab and Jezebel, lovely couple, um, they led the nation away from worshiping God and toward the worship of idols, specifically Baal. Uh, Baal was the idol worshiped by Jezebel's people, the Sidonians. And so when she got married as, uh, as a Sidonian, to King Ahab, they, she brought in worship of Baal, but she wasn't content to just blend it in. She wanted, to, she wanted to extinguish the worship of Yahweh, of the God of Israel. So Jezebel, in trying to extinguish the worship of the Lord, she put to death all of his prophets that she could find. There were a few rescued, including Elijah, but she literally slaughtered all of the priests, all of the prophets, because she didn't want anybody to have, to be encouraged and equipped to worship Yahweh. Most recently, there had been a spiritual showdown. So that's some of the past, what Ahab and Jezebel had done. Most recently, there had been this significant showdown, a spiritual showdown between 
the one prophet of God, Elijah, and 450 prophets of Baal. Okay? I'm not going to go into that story. It's in 1 Kings 18. It's really interesting and actually funny. Like, it's, it's bleak, <laughs> but, um, but it's fascinating. But what happened in that spiritual showdown is that God had showed up in a really epic way. God had revealed himself powerfully, impressively, demonstratively. I mean, God put on a dazzling display, including bringing rain to end a three-and-a-half-year drought. So, so God has put on this impressive show, and what it seems like is the nation of Israel has just, has just been primed for revival. Like, this, this, this thing that just happened is the beginning of national revival in Israel. And he's expecting that. Elijah's expecting that to just break out. And instead, things just get worse. The revival never comes, and instead, Jezebel is more determined than ever to have Elijah put to death and she puts a bounty on his head. So when our passage picks up and it says, then he was afraid and he fled to the wilderness, it's because everything's crashing down and there's a bounty on his head. He's fleeing his life. He's asking God to put him out of his misery. That's why. Everywhere Elijah looks, he must have been dismayed and depressed by the, by, here's a couple things. He's, dis, he's dismayed and distressed by the spiritual conditions of his own people the people that are supposed to be worshipers of Yahweh, and he looks around and he says, this is, not, this is not true worship. What happened? He's distressed by the political conditions in his nation. He's looking at the leadership of the nation, and he's devastated by it. He's, he's distressed. And in the middle of it, his own vocation seems just like really pointless. He's, he's doing all he can, and it's not making a difference. So he's a failure, and now he's sitting alone under a broom tree in the wilderness with a bounty over his head back in civilization. Verse 5, then he laid down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. You see God's tenderness and God's personal care. It's not a small thing when you go out to the wilderness and you fall asleep under a broom tree. I don't know what a broom tree is. Frankly, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to plant that in my yard. <laughs> um, but he sleeps, he falls asleep, and then he wakes up, and there's hot, fresh-baked bread and a, a jar of cold water waiting for him. That doesn't happen. This is, this is supernatural provision. This is God's way of saying, Elijah, I see you, and I care about you. I know you're devastated. I know you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances, but I see you. Go on to verse 7. The journey, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. So he, he went back to sleep after eating the first time. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So on the strength of that bread, and that water, he travels deeper into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, and he arrives at Mount Horeb. This is very good bread. <laughs> Probably Lembus bread, I'm guessing. That's the elves, bread of the elves. He arrives at Mount Horeb, which is not just any mountain. Okay? Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. This is the most significant 
mountain. This is a mountain that, that's a looming mountain in Israel's collective conscience and in their identity as a people. Because this is a significant place where God has met them in powerful and demonstrative ways. Let me give you a couple examples. It was on this mountain that God spoke to Moses from a supernaturally burning bush. A bush that was on fire but not consumed. And God's voice spoke out of this burning bush to Moses and said, I see the pain of my people. I see them enslaved to Egypt. And I want to deliver them and set them free. Go to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then what follows, so that's already a pretty powerful thing that happens on this same mountain that Elijah's arrived at. That's a powerful thing in the beginning, but then what follows is 10 amazing signs through which God demonstrates his power over false gods, over idols. And he sets his people free. They come out of Egypt. They come to Mount Sinai. And there, God gives them the 10 commandments and enters into a covenant relationship with the people. And that event of him giving them the 10 commandments, it is, it is an event that is uh, included all kinds of of uh, unmistakable and dramatic signs of God's presence and voice. So here's a few things. I just, I read through the Exodus narrative and I just pulled out the things that it describes what's happening on that mountain that the people are witnessing and seeing and hearing. There was a thick cloud that descended on the mountain. There was thunder and lightning. Very, very frightening, right? <laughs> You don't know how many times this week I've seen the combination of words thunder and lightning and automatically went into very, very frightening. <laughs> um, there was fire and smoke rising from the mountain. Scripture desi- describes it as if the mountain's on fire, as if it's a great kiln. Like, it's an, uh, the, like this mountain has become an oven and there's smoke rising into the sky. The whole mountain trembled and shook. When, when Moses would speak to God, God would respond in thunder. And lastly, in Exodus 24, it reads that the glory of the Lord rested on the top of the mountain like a devouring fire for 40 days that Moses spent on the mountain. Again, a fire that was present but not consuming. So all these things. As Elijah shows up at at this mountain, it's when he arrives after his own 40-day journey. Moses spent 40 days. Now he's been 40 days in the wilderness and he arrives there. He's carrying in his heart and mind all the stories, the traditions that have been handed on from generation to generation about what happens here at this mountain. He's here to hear a word from the Lord, right? Perhaps the cave that he finds to sleep in is the same shelter where Moses lived during the 40 days that he was up on the mountain in the cloud. I'm going to turn to verse 9. So he falls asleep in the cave, wakes up. But the Lord said to him, verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah responds with what amounts to a complaint. It's a little bit accusatory. It's right on the edge of being accusatory, right? He says, your people did this to your covenant, and I've been trying to do all the right things, and nobody's helping me. I've been trying to do the right thing in in the middle of a corrupt culture, and basically his complaint is that he's worn out, he's defeated, and he's depressed. Here's the thing. What spills out of him when God asks him this question, he says, what are you doing here? What spills out of him is all the inner noise that he's been carrying, the things that he's been 
recycling in his mind over the 40 years and the 40 days that he walked through the wilderness. He's been replaying what happened and what he did and what, what God did or didn't do. And why is, you know, why are evil people, all those questions, why are evil people prospering? Why are Ahab and Jezebel still in power? Like he's, he, 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 he voices a complaint. God responds in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Literally, there was a sound of thin silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? We're going to stop there. If you want to keep reading, I would suggest you do that. What happened, what follows is that Elijah repeats his complaint, maybe with a little less accusation, just like, God, here's where I am. He repeats his complaint, and then God gives him instructions about what he's to do. When he leaves this mountain and he goes back to Jezreel, where he came from, God says, here's what I want you to do. And he gives him really practical and specific instructions. Here's what to do based on the circumstances you're facing. But it wasn't until he got quiet that he heard God's instructions about what he should do. I, uh, I was reminded this week of a book I read uh, several years ago. It's called Invitation to Solitude and Silence by Ruth Haley Barton. She uses the, um, this text of 1 Kings 19. It's kind of like the, the driving text for this book. But in it, she shared a, a metaphor that I found really helpful and one that I've, I've continued to, to think about over the years. That just it's, it's one of those illustrations that goes, oh yeah, I know what that is and I know what I need to do with that. This is what she said. So this is coming at a time when Ruth, maybe a little bit like Elijah, was in vocational ministry, working at a big church in Chicago, and, um, and has, was experiencing success on some levels, but feeling very spiritually empty, and getting to a place where she was getting discouraged and disillusioned, and, and she just she felt like this, this can't be all there is. Like she was serving God with all of her heart and just kind of keeping a frantic pace, and she said, there has to be more than this. So she's talking with a friend who's a spiritual, uh, a spiritual kind of mentor to her. That's what the friend said. Ruth, you're like a jar of river water, all shaken up. What you need to, to do is to sit still long enough that the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. She starts to respond to that. She says, even though my mind had a hard time grasping what this settling would actually look like, if she was to sit still long enough to let the sediment settle, even though my mind had a hard time grasping what this settling would actually look like, the image of the jar of river water captured what I knew to be true about myself. I could not avoid the realization that I was the jar of river water, all shaken up. And the sediment that swirled around inside the jar was the busyness, the emotions, the thoughts, the inner wrestlings that I was not able to control. It was a moment of self-discovery, which is where all good spiritual journeying begins. The image of the jar of river water helped me to identify where I was, but it also captured my longing and desire to go somewhere else, 
to be still long enough that the swirling sediment could settle, that the waters of my soul could become clear and I could see whatever it was that needed to be seen. Well, that image called to me with hope of peace, of clarity, and a deeper level of certainty in God than I had yet known. In the desire that this image stirred up, I recognized an invitation to be still and know. An invitation to be still and know beyond my addiction to noise, to words, to people, to performance-oriented activity, captured my desire for something more and different, something beyond the head knowledge that no longer sustained my soul. I uh, brought a jar. What we're talking about is many of us, 21st century America, we experience life this way. We experience it as a jar with swirling sediment. And we're never still long enough for it to settle. But when we are, when we do be still, it doesn't take long for things to begin to resolve, for us to be quiet enough to hear God's voice. If we let this sit here very long, it'll be clear enough that you can actually see through it. What we're talking, we're going to close today with two questions. We're asking two questions. The first question is, what is the swirling sediment of our lives, of your life? What's the swirling sediment? I'm going to give you a few examples. Pete Gregg, in our reading this week, he's going to give three examples that he, he refers to them as uh, distractions, I think is the way he qualifies them. And so I just want to add a few. The, the, and the goal is not that you find yourself in what Pete says or what we talked about this morning. These are just some examples to help you begin to flesh it out. But the question that I'm, I'm asking, encouraging each of us to think about, about is what do we fill our lives with that's swirling around that keeps us from discerning God's still small voice, God's thin whisper? I heard somebody say once that when God speaks in that still small voice, when he speaks in the whisper, it's kind of like, Somebody just standing nearby and going, <clears throat> it's really easy to miss. But sometimes we're about to say something that we really shouldn't say. And there's a little, <clears throat> if we pay attention to that, we don't say that thing and we don't do further damage to relationships. If we ignore it, we just push past the <clears throat> we often find ourselves exacerbating cycles of unhealthy relationships and all of that. So what's swirling around the sediment of your lives? Let's look, we're going to look at three quick categories. Work and busyness. Work and busyness. Not business, although maybe it is business, but busyness. What we're talking about is, is that um, just like Elijah actually had, Elijah was in vocational ministry. He was full-time ministry. His job was a prophet. He had to leave his job in order to hear from God. Can you appreciate that? Now, how much more so if, if you have a job that's, that's non-spiritual, where you don't have spaces created for you to, to deliberately listen to God's voice, do you sometimes have to step away from your work in order to hear the still, small voice of God? Again, we live in a 24-7 culture that doesn't make a lot of space for that, but God, in his wisdom and in his kindness, when God put all of creation into existence, he called us to a rhythm of, of seven days, six days of work and a day of rest. 
And we've mostly drifted away from that. And in that constant busyness, it's just constant swirling. And there's never a stillness where we ever hear God's voice. Where we're still long enough. It's one of the reasons God gave us a Sabbath. If you want to study Sabbath, uh, we've been talking as a leadership team about maybe doing a series on Sabbath. We don't have it on the calendar right now. I'll be honest with you, why? Because this was something I felt called to during my sabbatical back last fall. I realized that the sabbatical I was on was basically an extended Sabbath, but that if I didn't create a weekly rhythm of Sabbath in my life, I was going to get back to the same place of weariness that I was in when I went on sabbatical. And so I need that, I need that weekly rhythm, not just the, you know, once every 16 years. <laughs> but a weekly rhythm. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Andrew and I are trying to cultivate that. It's, it's hard figuring out how to do that in our culture. And, and so I, I'm not ready to, I don't feel like I have the integrity in my life to be able to talk about it yet. But there's some really good books. I read a really good book on it, one by uh, John Mark Comer called The, um, the uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I believe um, we'll have a few copies out there. But if that's something that you want to explore, personal Sabbath, what does it look like to enter into the rest that God has actually given us as a gift, that, um, that you can pick up a copy of that book. Um, Another thing that happens is our expectations. Another, another reason that we might, the, the uh, swirling sediment might be your expectations. Meaning, maybe God's speaking because you're expecting him to speak in a way that you've heard about him speaking before or that he's spoken to you before. If he changes the way he's speaking, sometimes we miss him. Okay, that's what was happening with Elijah. Elijah shows up, he's got expectations of God and thunder and mountain and, you know, uh, wind and fire because that's, that's, that's what happens at this mountain. That's why he's there. Like he's, okay, you know, but God wasn't in the fire or the wind or the earthquake. Because God was speaking in a different way this time. He's speaking in a still small voice. But when uh, Andrew and I in, what was it, like December of 1998, we were overseas in Malaysia. We were serving in a Bible school over there. We'd been there for three years. Uh, Vineyard Boise was our home church, our sending church. Uh, early December, we get a call from Pastor Try, our founding pastor, and he says, uh, I'd like you to consider coming home and becoming, for Trevor to become the youth pastor at the church, eventually college as well. And we were at this fork where we, we were just about to sign up to be involved in leading a new school at the university that we were a part of that we really liked and we were really excited about. And so we felt conflicted because we loved Boise. We loved the church. We loved having our family back here. But we also loved what we were doing. And so we wanted to hear from God. God, what do you want us to do? And it was quite a discernment process. For me, the problem was is God didn't speak the way he had been. That was pretty early in my Christian faith. But already by that time, God had spoken to me about three things that were directional for my life. They were like life-changing directions. And all three times he spoke in ways that were demonstrative. When I dropped out of BSU to go to Youth with a Mission and, be, and enter into a discipleship training program. God spoke in, in, while I was driving in my truck in a way that was unmistakably, demonstrably him. Uh, while I was at that school and I was planning to come back and go to BSU or to NNU and go into education, God gave me uh, a new direction to go to Bible school in Montana where I could drive state to state without papers. It was really exciting in my truck. And, and, and in that moment when God spoke, there was heart palpitations, there was excitement, there was this suddenly like, I knew there was a burning in me. I had to do that. I didn't know why. 
I just knew that's what I have to do. And I was so excited. And then after the Bible school, as I was driving home from Montana one time, and I was thinking about my relationship with Andrea, God, God gave me this epiphany that, that, I, that I was supposed to marry her. And, and it changed everything. And by the time I got home, like, I was ready to marry Andrea. Right? <laughs> so three significant times that God has spoken to me, life-changing direction. And now we're facing another thing, and I just don't feel anything. Like I'm waiting for the excitement or the signs or the, the zeal or the heart palpitations or the, the, I'm waiting for something and just nothing. And when we got quiet, what we sensed is a still small voice saying, what do you want? There's not that unlike Elijah. Elijah, why are you here? Still small voice said, well, what do you want? And what Andrea and I discerned in that as we prayed about it together is we, we felt like God was giving us really a choice. And, and, and that either one, it wasn't like there was an evil choice and a good choice. They were both good, and God could, could move in us and through us through either one. And so he asked us what we wanted. Sometimes our expectations keep us from hearing God's voice. Lastly, there can be external noise. If we're constantly bombarded by other voices, how can we hear God's whisper? Because if the noises are so loud, if the volume on those is at 11, how can we hear God's voice that's maybe at a 2? Music, we surround ourselves. Do you, do you find yourself like always surrounding yourself with noise? It can, it can take lots of forms. It's not always audible noise. Sometimes it's the noise of social media, of the things we're reading, the, the podcasts we're listening to, the radio we're listening to, the entertainment we're streaming. But we're constantly bombarding ourselves with things. And it's just like, well, how are you going to be still? If you're constantly surrounded by external stimulation, how can God get through that? So here's the question. Here's the second question. How can we nurture an inner stillness that allows us to hear God's still small voice, his thin whisper? How can we, how can we let some of the swirling sediment settle? P. Gregg, in his, in his book this week, in our chapter, he, he quotes Richard Foster talking about the little solitudes that are scattered throughout our daily life. That's what he, he calls it, little solitudes. And the idea is that throughout our day that there's opportunities for us to dial down and, and quiet ourselves before God and to ask for his presence and his voice. Most of us are not called to the wilderness. We're not called to go join a monastery. We're not called to go into solitary confinement somewhere. But there's little moments of solitude throughout our day that if we don't fill them with noise, we can cultivate a stillness. We can let some of the settlement settle. And in that place, we just might hear God's voice. Pete Gregg gives a section at the end called Cultivating Silence that's tremendously helpful. I encourage you, don't, when you read the chapter, read all the way through the end and the exercises because he talks about cultivating solitude and silence. So what are some little solitudes? Try driving in silence. Okay, this is not, you're not rearranging your schedule, you're just reframing how you spend it. When you're driving somewhere, try driving in silence. Pay attention, when you do this, pay attention to the places that your heart and mind wander when you're trying to be present to God and your heart keeps going somewhere else, that's okay. Just bring that to him. Oftentimes what happens when we let things settle is something begins to rise to the surface and we start experiencing anxiety over something or, or concern about something or questions. Those are the very things we need to hear God's still small voice about. So God, this thing that's bubbling up in me, could you show me what you want me to do about that? And would you intervene? Right? So it's in the stillness that we can pay attention to that and then bring it to him. 
You can use a centering prayer. We're going to end with a centering prayer this morning, and I'll, I'll share that with you. But you can use a centering prayer while you're driving. Just don't close your eyes <laughs> to help create inner stillness. Um, you can, this is a good one. You can make time in the shower for, for, um, for prayer. That might seem a little bit strange or awkward, but um, it's funny. I, I put that in my notes, and then I got to a place in Pastor Mike's devotions where he wrote about the same thing. And he actually shares a pretty powerful story in this week's devotions about an, an encounter he had with God in the shower. Here's the thing. There's something about being completely exposed to the God who sees us as we really are with no pretense. There's nothing he doesn't know about us. He sees us more clearly than we see ourselves. He knows us more than, better than we know ourselves. And there's something about safe about being present with him and just saying, God, as I enter into this day, would you, uh, would you cleanse me? Would you be present in my life? I invite you, Holy Spirit. You're what I'm thirsty for. There's all kinds of places where you can go with that, but that can be a place of just stillness and solitude to let something settle and say, God, today I want to hear your voice. One last one. It's a centering prayer. Oh, yeah. I'm going to wrap this up. Can we pull the lights down a little bit? Um, This is going to be really short because this is not what we're talking about this week, this invitation to create some little solitudes and hear God's voice. There's some things that that people who've gone before us, saints who've gone before us, have learned to to practice as a way of cultivating God's presence, as a way of stilling. So oftentimes these are called centering prayers. Uh, They're rooted in Scripture, and it's just taking a, a phrase from Scripture and just repeating it and allowing it to, to still all the swirling sediment, right? So the one we're going to do this morning is, is from Psalm 46. It's actually, it's in the devotions this week as well. My, Mike and I were really tracking. Um, but Psalm 46, it's be still and know that I'm God. So I'm going to put it up here. Um, be still and know that I'm God. Here's the invitation. I'm, I, it's on the screen so you can watch it. We're going to pray through it in just five phrases, each time shortening it a little bit more. I'm going to speak it out loud, so if you want to close your eyes and just repeat it silently to yourself, you can. But the idea is to just be still before God and invite His presence. And we're going to start by inviting the Holy Spirit because this, the, the whole reason— Church, hear this before you close your eyes. The whole reason that we believe that—, that any one of us, ordinary people can hear God's voice is because if you've been born again, you have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit that can teach us to hear God's voice. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. So we can't do this on our own. Pete makes that really clear. He does it in a beautiful way. But in the vineyard context, we often pray, we're just dialing down. We, We call centering prayer. We call it dialing down. Same thing. Come Holy Spirit. So with eyes closed or eyes open, just let, the, the, let these words echo in your heart. Let them settle you. Come Holy Spirit. Father, we welcome this manifestation of your indwelling presence to know you as Abba Father, a God, a Father who is altogether good, who is personal, who speaks. 
Would you help us to dial down and pay attention that we might grow in recognizing and responding to your presence and voice? Deep cleansing breath. Be still and know that I am God. something bubbles up, take that to him. Be still and know that I am. still and know be still Heavenly Father, as we go about our moment-to-moment life, our day-to-day life that we often experience as mundane and non-spiritual, would you permeate every moment with your presence? Would you teach us to recognize your nearness and your voice? Would you show us opportunities this week to, to create a practice that makes space to hear your voice, that makes space to be still before you. Holy Spirit, we've gathered to worship, to, uh, to learn, to grow, and now we scatter to take your presence with us everywhere we go. So we invite you. Would you fill us Call us, send us, use us. We entrust ourselves to you for your glory, for our joy, for the sake of others. I'm going to put just a couple more um, centering prayers up on the screen. Uh, encourage you to find one that works for you. Some Sometimes... Uh, Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It can be a really powerful centering prayer. And that's what we know is we most need just God's mercy. We have a prayer team that's been asking God for, um, for just his presence to bring healing and to bring uh, encouragement, prophetic words into people's lives today. So um, 
If we have any of those on screen, we'll put them up here in just a second. And we're going to just close. This is a soft close. Uh, you're welcome to leave and, and go pick up your children. Uh, if you have children, don't pick them up unless you have them. Pick up your children is the key word. But if you need ministry time, if you need prayer, if you need a word of encouragement this morning, I invite you to just come and gather around uh, here. Here's our words for prayer this morning. Uh, we have freedom from shame, guilt, and condemnation. That was something our team sent specifically for this morning. If you're online this morning, you can send that. You can ask for prayer online. Uh, freedom from rejection. Rest in the peace of God. Beware of the Holy Spirit coming in different ways. Wow. And awaken the Spirit within us. All right. Church, let's go, uh, let's go listen to God. And out of that, let's make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.